0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. I've got our research lead, Glenn hers with us today for a special treat. I'm always looking to bring on somebody other than my brother when I get a chance. And uh, Brian happens to be uh, traveling a little bit today. So uh, really happy that Glenn was able to be on the show with us today. We're going to talk about spring tillage and also take your agronomic calls and questions at 844 844- 44agphd or via email radio at agphd.com. Let's get started here. Glenn, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Okay, spring tillage is the topic, and uh, <laughs> I find this interesting when about half of our farm is underwater right now. The other half uh, went through a wet harvest season. We, we certainly need some tillage, if nothing yep. else, to fix some of the ruts.
1: Right, right. And we're, I mean, right here... You know in baltic and whatnot we're way better in way better shape than some people i mean we see all the stuff that's happening in nebraska and i mean um iowa and whatnot and down there all the you know all the problems that they've got along with the the cattle you know growers and you know the ranchers and everything that's happening there yeah we're in we're in a lot better shape than they are so um, when it comes to tillage um it's going to be anybody's guess what we're going to do this spring. I mean, <laughs> the thing well, that's going to help us up here, I still think, um, is the fact that we've got a deep freeze. I mean, the ground's froze, so those ruts, you know, the frost will naturally take some of that out. You go down where we were at this fall or this spring here now in uh, where they don't freeze up, and they've got ruts half a mile long, those sorts of things. That's a heck of a lot more of a situation than we're going to have, I feel.
0: Well, I guess it, we'll see how it all plays out this spring, but we got a few issues here, Glenn. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll just hit you up on herbicide incorporation, manure application, and just basic seed bed prep.
1: Right, right. I mean, you take let's just go, you know, first off with herbicide prep, you know, you take Um, we're almost going to have to hit a few of these spots over the, you know, over the top. Otherwise you're going to have, you're incorporated, you're going to spray that chemical on top. It's going to get incorporated in. If that ruts down eight inches, that's not where you want that chemistry. So, um. You know, whatever it's going to take to do that, yeah, we're going to have to run out do and do the same thing. That's not ideal by I any think, stretch.
0: I think we're going to do some deep tillage for for some yep. of these areas like you talk about, and then spray the product on after. And sometimes we're going to spray it on no-till. So we're going to uh, do that deep tillage, have everything set. We might even plant and then spray, which we normally don't like to do, and I we probably won't do that on our farm, but. But it's something that is an option for a number of these herbicides that can be used in a no-till situation. But I'm with you. The other thing that we're getting questions on, Glenn, is can I add tanks? Can I add nozzles? Can I just do this all in one pass if I'm just running a field cultivator? Absolutely. You, you sure bet. Can.
1: Absolutely. That's, and that's kind of the route that I would go. I mean, you take if you've got what we call a wet kit all the time on a field cultivator or something like that. You, you come to a spot and you're like, man, this is not going to work here. You can always turn around and hit that one more time you know, to try and level something off or whatnot and then go about putting that pre-emerge on or whatever, or that fertility down. And just, and so you've got that seed prepped a little bit better. That's absolutely where I would go.
0: All right. How about the manure? Because uh, we just yesterday were talking about manure on the show and uh, Dan Anderson with Iowa State says there's going to be 50% more manure put on this spring than a normal spring. So that's a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that's just, I mean, that's, you know, part of what's, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, Yeah, you should be running the planter probably if it's, if you're out there and able to put the manure down or something like that, but you can't let that, that pit run over either, you know? So, um, I mean, it's just going to, it's going to definitely create some challenges this year and when we want to try and get it in timely wise and whatnot. But at the same time, you got to get the fertility out there. And if you didn't put any fertility out there, um, you've got it sitting there in that hog pit or, or dairy pit or whatever, um, yeah, I'm putting that
0: out there. Yeah, so. yeah, no question. It, it's it's just going to be a little bit of a challenge. we got to hope for a nice, warm, dry April for sure. And mm-hmm. and then we talked just about seed bed prep in general. There's a lot of wet corn stalks out there. The guys are really happy even to get the corn out of the field last fall, let alone do anything at all with the stalks.
1: Right. Well, uh, and if we're going to be behind on time whatsoever, it's, it's going to be the big challenge is going to be, say you're the no-till guy or the minimum-till guy, and you think, okay, it looks like we can go. Man, if we start smearing sidewalls and whatnot, you are just hammering that 2019 crop right before it even gets, you know, barely gets into the ground. Um, We're just asking for trouble there. And and at least
0: in parts of the field. I mean, if not the whole field, but at least parts. And that's something, too, that... I know I talk to guys all the time, and we're guilty of this, too, of, hey, we can get through 95% of the field. And that other five, well, we're just going to plow right (laughs) through I'm going straight through. I'm doing the same thing.
1: I mean, mean, we're as guilty as anybody about doing that. Um, But, I mean, that's just one of the things that it's, you know, and sometimes, um, you know, what we've done in the past, too, is you can take a field cultivator and hit those spots. And at least dry that out dry that little section out or something like that um that seems to be one way to go about doing it but yeah it's it's certainly going to bring challenges um going into this year um you know i i just look at what we've got here and you know brian and i talked about it a little bit the other day too is like yeah there's a lot of snow out there we're still in march up here we're not in the worst situation you know we don't know I mean, we could go three, four weeks without any precip up here. You know, we've seen that before, Absolutely. Um, and a lot of this would go away for us right here. It's certainly not for everybody, um, but you know, that is that's something that to think about.
0: Hey, Glenn, uh, since I've got you here, I got a question on Twitter. We've only got about a minute here, but uh, Ogunaru from Nigeria is going to be seeding some wheat. And he said, we talk about these low populations and what guys are doing. And you work with the world record wheat grower yeah. uh, and he's doing a lot lower population. What What would you say about that?
1: Well, I mean, the, the conditions have to, to warrant that, of course. Um, you know, if, if we're getting behind, you know, if we're at our normal planting time, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly would lower that down. You know, what's you know, I'm not familiar with Nigerian well, climate no, right now, no, but, but he's, yeah, I he's mean, trying it, to
0: focus on tillers, and that's yes. that's the big thing yep. with the world record wheat grower. He's looking at how many tillers do I have, and if right. you can still get that tiller count that you're looking for per square meter or whatever you're going by, then then play around with that seeding rate yes, a little bit, and absolutely. see what you can do.
1: Yep, I be you know, if we're talking per acre, I would be A million or less is where i would be trying to you know shoot for that
0: yeah it'll be fun to see what you got and we don't know what all your conditions are in terms of seed treatments and disease pressure and those kinds of things but uh just just keep that in mind yeah play around with the seeding rate a little bit it may be lower than what you've been doing in the past stay tuned we'll be right back
2: Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic is proven to defeat yield robbers like waterhemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir.
0: When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation and patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit GrainPhD.com to learn more one
2: year, it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bio-enhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed.
3: Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature-humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And uh, boy, I hope not to be in the studio very long. I hope we're out in the fields doing some work here uh, in the near future. We got some wet conditions right now as is probably true for most of the country, but uh, hey, spring is here and we're, we're ready to get started. So we got Chris Lurson with us right now with Case IH to talk about spring tillage a little bit. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you very much, Darren. It's good to be here. Okay, so we got wet conditions, uh, you know, and yet we still have a lot of work to get done. So I talked to a lot of growers that say, you know, I, I'm going to try and do stuff as shallow as I possibly can that allows yeah. me to get out in the field perhaps a little bit sooner. Uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of tillage tools farmers are choosing?
4: Yeah, I mean, that that whole shallow concept, and it also depends a lot on your, your field conditions, right? You know, I, I, we've We've seen a lot of rutting, we've seen a lot of issues and messes, as, as many have called them in the, in the fields, and, you know, it uh, depends on that condition, but, uh, you know, as I've, as I've mentioned um, the, the before on the program, the vertical tillage tools for, for for fast, shallow applications have been been very popular, you know, with, with being able to level and, and be able to cr- still create a seedbed that has a flat surface and a flat subsurface. Um, but certainly, you will know, field cultivators uh, that, that are, are able to do the same thing, but actually provide a better seed bed, I think, than a vertical tillage tool could um, just with a flat surface and, and a flat subsurface. So, you know, those are the two products that we see a lot of popularity in. Um, you know, Disc Harrows also have some, some places there, most certainly for, for, for uh, managing unlevel fields, rutted fields. They have an ability to go just a little bit deeper and, uh, and, and give us a level, surface, um, as well as, you know, as far as the true tandem goes, the the case IH has is, is a level subsurface.
0: Yeah, I love that you always talk about the subsurface too, and that's a big deal for me as well, Chris. I, I know growing up as yeah. a kid, we were just happy if it looked smooth on top. But that really <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of like just looking at plants only above ground and not digging up roots. Yeah. You you don't know what's going on down there. And if it's not good below ground, if you have a real uneven tillage floor and you got some problems down there or compaction that you're not dealing with, yeah. you're going to have problems. So we we see, you know, a lot of stuff with a big primary tillage pass how about with the secondary tillage pass what are some of the things uh that that guys should look for if they're out you know doing some deep ripping or something like that and then they're coming back with that next pass uh what problems or issues pop up
4: well i, I think the big thing is is getting out of the cab taking a look at what's happening behind you I, I think that might be the first problem that we have is you know we want to glue our butts to the seats and just kind of go and and that's that's really important to get out and actually look at what's going on. We're we're adopting more technology, which is going to allow us to sit in the seat more, um, maybe than, than even than now today. But I really really see that as as a positive. Is getting out, digging, wiping behind the tool for the full width. And I mean, you you make a pass and and, and pull away that top surface of soil that you see. Don't uh, don't like you mentioned, just look at the surface and kind of judge that book. We want to look deeper. And pull that back and, and see, really, it gives you a, a full picture of exactly what that tool is doing from its settings, uh, fore and aft wings to mainframe. You know, if you have a tool like that. You, you should be pulling that back, and it will tell you exactly what's going on. It's, if you see ruts or see see uh, grooves in the subsurface, you're probably you know tipped forward, or, or there, there's just a fore and aft levelness issue. And if you don't see wings to mainframe, those areas level in the same depths. Uh, it tells you, you have a pretty good issue there uh, with 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 levelness. So I mean, those are the kind of the two bigger things that I uh, see and, and end up working with when I'm in the field with our tools.
0: Yeah, a lot of times when I get to fields too, Chris, I'll just look at the tillage tool and I can just see that it's running at an angle, and we know we got an issue out there. That that's one adjustment. What are some other adjustments that that growers should be making uh, as they're going through the spring tillage pass?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, the four-f levelness, wings the mainframe, those are the critical ones, and, and like you mentioned, Darren, you, you can really see them. Um, the harrow the is another part, and that's that's the finishing touch to, to everything. So it makes it look good. And and there's a lot of times where you can you can make things look better. And if you, for for many of our listeners here, you you may be using some sort of a coil time. And I remember as a kid, you know, it was just kind of there. Didn't really touch it. Don't want to mess with it because it's just, it might have been too much work. Didn't, didn't care. Didn't know. But, uh, you know, it's another adjustment that, that I've found, at least on our Tiger Mate to, at home on the farm, to you know, really try something different there with your Harrow pitches. The, the more you stand up those coil tines on the back, the more leveling you get. But okay. if you're in a heavy residue condition, it acts more like a rake. So you yeah. probably need to lay them back a little bit. So I mean, it depends on
0: fuel. Always trade-offs, there. right? Um,
4: yeah, there's always trade-offs. There's, there's, there's never something that's always going to be just perfect. But you know what? We have these big tools, and you have sections that you can try. I think many look at these these, these machines, and there's just so much to them. Like, just try one section, just like a planter. You know, you've got one row. Just adjust one row. See what it does. And don't let the whole thing intimidate you. Give it a shot, see how it turns out, and then go and make your adjustment.
0: All right. Um, you know, when you think about getting a good job done with tillage, that's that's one thing. But how does that play into your efficiency and your accuracy when you come through with the planter?
4: Yeah, I, you know, the 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 whole system needs to work together, and you know, when you you. Know, preparing that seedbed, it's going to complement the way you place your seed. And that's why we talk a lot about the seedbed floor, we talk a lot about the, the overall finish and, and the quality of the job that you're doing. Because the faster you are able and, and better you're able to create that seedbed, you know, the, the more productive you can be with your planter path. And there's a lot of tools on planters today, and they've been great, you know, been great systems to be able to add to the productivity levels of the planter. But they're reactionary. Right, I mean that they're reacting to the situation. Faster you go, most cases you're not going to be able to react uh, as quickly, even though you're going fast with the planter. And, and but we want to make sure that we're trying to prepare that seed bed so it doesn't have to react. The planter can do what it was intended to do and place the seed right every single time. So, I mean, those are the those are the things that I've seen with just making sure those settings are where you're at, digging behind the tool. That that's why I push on that so hard is to to make sure that we're getting that level surface. And level subsurface.
0: All right. One other question that I was uh, getting quite a bit this winter. So growers that normally had done fall tillage uh, had, had told me something they had heard, and you can tell me if this is accurate or not, but they said, we've heard that, okay, fall tillage, it's fine to go kitty corner across the field or at an angle, but spring tillage, it's more critical that we go the same direction as the planter. Now we've heard a lot of high yield growers over the years saying, going the same direction as a planter is really important for them. Uh, what's your opinion on that? What have you seen? Have you done some studies?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It, it is important, I think, to, to use, use your last pass in front of the planter um, in the same direction um, as, as the planter, and just because of that whole seedbed floor, too. Now, if you have a tool that's making a floor perfectly, you shouldn't be influenced. The, the, the thing that we're avoiding by going the same direction is is undulations and issues with your seedbed subsurface because that's what's going to influence how smooth those row units ride and in many cases how smooth you might ride in a tractor cab too so you know that the, that is an important piece is, is to go the same direction you will uh you will find the planter rides better um, and possibly can pick up productivity levels um, and in many cases we used to just go at an angle because we couldn't see the mark right because uh, in most cases now, not a lot of markers are being used on that planter anymore. And our harrows and tillage tools are leaving a flatter surface. So, you know, that that was reasons that we used to do it. I remember as a kid, you could never tell you where your marker was. Now, I don't ever use my markers. And uh, it's not as big of an issue.
0: Yeah, the marker thing is kind of a fun discussion. Uh, one of our producers yeah. for Ag PhD TV, when he sees that out there, he's like, "What is that for?" But you know, it's a whole different, <laughs> whole different area era of uh, agriculture than it was not too many years ago. So, yeah, it That's really, right, yeah. Really appreciate all the information we've been talking with Chris Lurson with KSH, and you think, oh, okay, he's a Case IH guy. Well, he farms too, and I, I love chatting about how things are going uh, on the other side of Iowa. We're kind of on the on the west side, just on the west side of Iowa. So, uh, kind of good to get uh, a little word about what's happening across the Corn Belt here, Chris. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah,
4: thank you, Darren, and have a good one.
0: Talking about spring tillage on our show today. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
5: In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field, ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to AgroLiquid.com to move you closer to your target.
2: With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less burbing and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com slash tracks.
5: High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the High Yield Grower Toolbox.
2: In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success. Like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end of season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted use pesticide.
6: Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
0: Okay, we're a little optimistic here at Ag PhD Radio. We're talking spring tillage, hoping that in the upper Midwest we'll be able to be doing some of that soon. I know in other parts of the country, though, guys, are already out in the field. If you're out there and you got some questions or you're thinking about getting out there and, and just wondering about anything at all, we'd love to take your agronomic questions at 844-442-4743. That's 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Nebraska right now. we got Ty Fickenshire with us. Uh, uh, he's with Luma down there. Ty, how are you doing today?
7: Doing great. How are you doing?
0: Well, we're doing pretty well, but I think everybody in the country, probably the most questions I've gotten lately is uh all around one issue. How are the guys doing down in Nebraska? We're seeing you guys on the news and it's not for good things. Uh how how's everybody doing?
7: Well, you know, you go on that Fremont and up to uh you know, up the the Platte River there and even up towards uh the northern part of the state, north of Neal and you know it's pretty tough go right now. I mean, guys are getting cattle out wherever they can. I know the the stockyard in Albion is kind of housing quite a few of them and running out of hay. So, but uh, I think all in all, it's just kind of it's real amazing and really a blessing to see people in the Midwest come around, you know, those in in need in a disaster like this and, and really lift them up and take care of them. So.
0: Yeah, I've heard, uh, you know, with bridges out and, and just massive flooding, I mean, there are, there are people that literally can't get uh, a mile down the road to where their livestock are at, and other neighbors are jumping in, helping and, and uh, bringing in supplies. And, yeah, you're right. It's, it's really good to see how people pull together in these kind of situations. And, you know, hey, we got spring tillage coming right around the corner for a lot of guys. we got planting coming right around the corner. It's, uh, it's going to be a challenging spring.
7: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know, it's, it'll always get done. It always has gotten done. But I think, you know, right now for all those folks, it's one day at a time and hit one foot in front of the other and get done what we can. But, uh, yeah, that'll definitely be up on us here before we know it. So,
0: yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's kind of a good reminder, too. If, if uh, you're listening to the show today and you need help, ask. Please ask. There, there's a lot of people around, a lot of organizations around that, that uh, are more than happy to, to help. And there's farmers all around the country. Like you mentioned, uh, some of these places where cattle are being housed just to have a place to be for a little while. Uh, there's donations of hay coming in around. If you've got hay that's excess and you say, man, I've got some, I can sure share. We'll have another crop here in a few days. Uh, if you don't know who to contact, uh, send the information to us, and we'll pass it on. But uh, there are a lot of groups out there trying to help these farmers uh, get through the spring, and it's not just Nebraska. I mean, it's it's uh, some pretty big areas of our country right now.
7: Yeah, I know you can look at you know up into southern South Dakota and western Iowa, and um, you know some other parts affected pretty pretty severely as well. But uh, um, yeah, uh, it's. terrible thing but uh you really get to see the good in people when this happens so
0: yeah that's for sure and and you know there there's still a lot of work to get done out in the fields and uh and i know there's a lot of guys that okay well i I got this stuff that's not going so well but i do have some work that i can focus on and that that helps me as well uh when we look at the spring tillage we're we're seeing a lot of guys Mm -hmm. that that wanted a strip till last fall that are going to be out there this spring and and i know there's um really good machines now with coulters that that can get the job done uh, even in a challenging spring like we're seeing what what kind of differences do you see for for guys that normally do it in the fall what are some of the things they need to keep in mind as they go into the spring
7: well i know the one thing we're really looking at is is wherever we can pull the shank out and just run the coulters that's really what we prefer um you know that way we're not causing that slaving, slabbing and slicing um like we've talked about before and Um, getting that shallow that shallow patch you know really all we're doing with that strip in the spring is we're wanting to create a clean seed bed um, you know allow it to dry out a little bit warm up a little quicker and more even crop emergence so you know my thought is is if we can avoid getting a a trench down there the seed can fall down in that's that's number one is what we focus on out in the field but um, you know aside from that just kind of being aware of conditions are going into and I know for us, we're going to, have to be awful selective on which field we start on and which field we move to before we before we really get going too uh, too fast with it. So.
0: I think, you know, you kind of hit a point there that we're going to have to make some adjustments. There's no question about it. Probably field to field as, as we're going this spring and as things dry out and we get into different soils. But uh, I look at that don't make a trench as being a real key because we've seen it on our own farm that we've had to make a lot of adjustments over the years. Are we making too much of a berm? Are we making a trench? Uh, uh, it's not just I'm gonna roll and and everything will be fine. We need to be back there making adjustments pretty frequently.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and, and even within one field, you know, the conditions can change pretty drastically. I mean, you know, if you're on your own field, you know what it's possible or what it what it's uh, what it's like going across the field. But just being aware of the conditions and uh, you know, looking at uh, how you can make maybe a simple modification of the machine to really make that seed bed ideal for the crop going into
0: it. You know, when we think about uh, uh, putting out fertilizer and trying to accomplish many jobs at one time, that's one of the reasons that that many farmers, including us, have gone to strip till that, hey, I can do seedbed prep, tillage, residue management, fertility placement, all these things with one pass. When we're doing it with the coulters, I know one of the things we hear you talk about, Ty, is kind of spreading that fertility out in the zone. Uh, what do you see for farmers that haven't done that before? What kind of difference does that make?
7: You know, as as opposed to, I guess I might make two comparisons there. You look at a broadcast application on the surface, um, you know, you're like this one, especially in Midwest, you know, how much that is still available to crop, um, but then two, how much is if it's a leachable nutrient, how much is down through the profile already? But then, you, know, you look at a banded application, and and what's that doing to the root system? Um, you know, you're like this where you have great growth with with ample moisture, and you know what's going to do the root system when it hits that hits that band? So, you know, that's that's just like you said. Our approach has been to do more of a uniform distribution throughout that zone and not cause any hot spots, and you allow those nutrients to be in places where the roots can kind of spread out and capture as they get to it. So.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be critical as we go into this spring. And for the guys that are incorporating manure, we talked a little bit on yesterday's show, you know, strip-tail is a good way to get a lot of that worked in as well.
7: Yeah, and that's, I'll be honest, I've not had much experience with that. We do some different stuff with, uh, you know, chicken litter, beef, uh, beef pellets and stuff like that, but as far as manure, um, we've not had any much personal experience with that at all. But, um, you know, really just think through the agronomics of it, getting it into the soil is going to be better than, uh Um, Just letting it lay on top of the soil, definitely.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that's coming. There are some guys uh, yesterday on our show talking about uh, taking poultry litter and dry cattle manure mm-hmm. and uh, making some different attachments to be able to do that with the strip toe machine as well. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, see how that goes for them and, and how they have to dial the rates in right to, to make that turn out just fine. But, yeah, lots of stuff to to think about going into this spring. We're talking with Ty sure down in the state of Nebraska. Ty, we sure got uh, got you and all the guys down in Nebraska in our, our thoughts uh, uh, with all the things that we're seeing with the weather this year and wish you luck going into the spring.
7: Appreciate that. Thank you, Darren.
0: Uh, also got, get uh, got a lot of mailbag questions coming in. Uh, I, I think uh, we should probably jump into that. I got my brother, Brian rejoining me here. Uh, Brian, you ready for a little mailbag?
8: Yep, fire away.
0: Okay, uh, first of all, i get got a question from Keith in southwest Ohio and uh, he's talking about soybeans. What do you recommend for sulfur on soybeans? Are there rates and timings that you use and any favorite sources?
8: Well, number one, soybeans need a fair amount of sulfur. Uh, two, you typically don't need to add a whole lot of sulfur to a lot of soils. If you have good organic matter mineralization and you have some sulfur left from the previous year, but especially in lighter soils where more leaching has occurred, you know, coming off a wet fall and a wet spring, then the odds are higher that a little bit of ammonium sulfate is going to pay. We really like ammonium sulfate, uh, but, I mean, there are many sources, like liquid, for example. Um, I, I, I... really like liquid thrown together with my herbicide so if you said oh boy i don't have any way to get all this done in one shot okay well let's throw a little liquid sulfur use that as the, as the carrier for your herbicide just make sure you're doing a jar test first but we've done a lot of that over the years so lots of different sources just get some out there i'm not that worried about the timing of it because sulfur only leaches sulfate only leaches at about half the rate of nitrate so usually if you get it out to start the year it's pretty good and like ammonium sulfate, for example, uh, just takes a little bit of time. Elemental sulfur also takes time to break down, so those sources aren't available necessarily today, but they're available fairly soon uh, during the growing season.
0: You know, and as we look at the Ag PhD fertilizer removal apple, we'll dial in soybeans, dial in a yield goal of say seventy bushels. It needs twenty-five pounds to pull up for stover and grain. You probably better have twice that much out in the soil if you're going to be able to pull it in for this year's crop. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
5: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Endoprime SC. MycoApply Endoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. No secrets here, we all know, regardless of the markets balanced crop nutrition pays. AgroLiquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. AgroLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, Bill advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three.
2: Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save three
6: dollars per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice.
2: For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy2save3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and
1: follow label instructions.
2: Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com.
1: Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. We started utilizing the Duo React system this year. You
7: can adjust your speed and it automatically adjusts your sprayer tips. So you can slow down and you aren't building up huge droplets or you can speed up and you're not throwing a mist that's drifting. Hypro,
0: helping you spray better. Welcome back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, and Brian, I should have asked you before, uh, before I, I jumped to you with that last question, did you have any other comments on spring tillage? We talked a little bit about manure application, seed bed prep, uh, herbicide incorporation.
8: Well, we've talked about it a lot lately here on the show. I guess the only real thing that I... I always want to be thinking about what this spring tillage thing is. The most important thing is to make sure we have a good seed bed. Getting the crop off to a good start and having it thrive all season long is our ultimate goal. So whatever you choose to do for spring tillage, just make sure that when you plant that seed, it is planted when the soil is fit and you have good seed-to-soil so- seed contact. And you've done everything you can to give your crop the best chance to succeed.
0: Yep, I totally agree. And then, uh, you know, the next step is going to be on some of these herbicides. We got a question that came in from Brandon in Northern Virginia. He said, I'm looking for a good pre corn program. Uh, we're in no till, we don't have any mare's tail or palmer pigweed yet. Uh, I I would guess that you probably do, Brandon, but you've been doing a pretty good job on them so far. He said, we've been uh, suggested to use a new program this year. Just curious what your thoughts are. Three pints of Gramoxone, three pints of Atrazine, two pints of Princep, four and a half pints of Acuron Flexi, uh, and then some surfactant drift control as well. It seems like a lot and the price is really high for us. Uh, but I'm curious what your thoughts are and uh, and what you think, because your three pre-strategy for soybeans has really helped me.
8: Okay, so you said this is corn, correct? Correct. Yep. I don't know why we're using Princep. I've never recommended Princep for corn in my life, and Princep has been around my entire life, so I have no idea what weed they're after and why somebody would recommend that. That that one is the one that's most baffling to me. Yep. With the Atrazine, I would say there's no possible chance I will ever recommend Atrazine pre-emerge. So I will not do that. And yeah. the reason why it has everything to do with groundwater concerns, not with efficacy or cost or safety, anything like that. All that's fine. It's just simply I'm worried about groundwater and I'm worried about the environmental impact.
0: Well, Brian, uh, you know, look at emerge, look at that recommendation. We've got Acuron Flexi in there, which is Acuron without the atrazine. So why would we yep. use a We could have had a premix of Acuron if we would have wanted to have uh, all the Atrazine in there. But it seemed like uh, Acuron Flexi is probably being sold in that area because there are growers saying the same thing you are. Hey, I don't want the Atrazine out there. I don't want it out there pre for sure. Uh, I might use some post, but I'm probably not going to be using that higher rate either. Three pints is a pretty good strong rate.
8: Yep, that's for sure. So, yeah, I would not do that. So I'd cut the atrazine, I'd most likely cut the princep, and I'd go from there. And then I would spray something post-emerge, depending on when I scout my field, what weeds do I find.
0: So the Gramoxone is fine. The Acuron Flexi is fine. And, you know, you can look at those rates a little bit to see if you want to tweak it, depending on what you're doing exactly and what your post program is going to be. But yeah, we're just concerned about that Atrazine and Princep that's in there that, that that just seems a little excessive. And I know on the Acuron Flexi brand, what do you think of the split approach where we're putting uh, half of it on early and half of it on a little bit later versus putting it all in one shot? If we're in lighter soils, would that be a better strategy
8: well it could be but you know with the dual component in there that doesn't really need to be split um and for that matter the HPPB too doesn't really need to be split i i don't know what rates we're talking about though so i am a big proponent of using acuron flexi at a relatively low rate early post that makes complete sense to me if you wanted to use some of the same product pre-emerge that's where i start to have problems why would I use the same modes of action? Why don't you use something else? Uh, I, I mean, switch it up a little bit. That's what I would do. So, I, and yeah, group 15, I can see maybe doing that twice. But what's wrong with, let's say, verdict for just as an example or sure Start or triple flex, something a little different for the broadleaf component rather than doing H V P D followed by H V P D.
0: Yeah, and you look at Acuron Flexi, if we're going four and a half pints, we've got about six ounces of HPPD product in there, which is about a double rate to what you'd use post. And we've got almost 30 ounces of uh, of dual in there. So we got almost a normal rate of dual uh, and uh, and a pretty excessive rate of, of HPPD. And I get it if you're trying to do one pass and be done, but I, I don't know. I think you're going to have to come back with something post. I don't think you're going to clean everything up
8: yeah you might have to come back with something post so most of the time you will
0: all right well thanks for the question we really appreciate that and uh thanks for telling us about the three pre-program working for you in northern virginia we've had a really good luck with that and and glad you're having good luck with it as well i uh, got a got uh, a an email from john here i'm trying to see if he says where he's from but he's not he doesn't uh john said hey i'm a I really appreciate you answering my questions in the past uh, and you've been good teachers for me. I'm searching for and haven't found a conclusive study on the best methods for applying fungicide on wheat for head scab. I know the timing, uh, but the application is certainly important too. What is your favorite nozzle, uh, gallonage, boom height, nozzle spacing, pressures, so forth uh, to, to make that application work well?
8: Go ahead Darren.
0: Okay well there's, there's a few things here. So first of all if you get that timing right when we're at say 10 to 15 percent flowering seems to be the the preferred recommendation where we're getting the best uh, protection from head scab. Then we look at product selection and there's certainly some good ones like Presaro and Caramba out there and, and others. Uh, there, there's new products coming out as well uh, but when we look at the nozzle type, what I like to do is try and get excellent coverage and I'm looking for something that's got some incline to it. So whether you're using a um A twin fan type approach Um, whether you're using the new 3D nozzles from Hypro uh, there's a there's a lot of ways that you can go about this personally I like that 3D nozzle now I had really liked the twin fans in the past uh, but either way when you're using a a nozzle it has some incline so I mean it's it's got a um, the the spray is coming out not just straight up and down but at a little bit of an angle Uh, If we've got the angles going forward and the angles going backward, now we're going to cover both sides of that head that's sticking straight up in the air. And we can do a good job. We've seen too many applications with flat fans not doing a great job of coverage or with nozzles that just angle one direction doing a nice job coating up one side of that seed head but not the other. And we get kind of half head scab control. So that's going to be a big thing. So get a nozzle like that. Um, you can check out the, the Ag PhD Spray Nozzle app and, and look at those specific products. Prosaro and Caramba, I know for sure, have recommendations about which nozzles you'd want to use. Then in terms of gallons, we want to make sure we're getting great coverage. If you've got a lot of wheat plants out there, you probably want to have a little bit more water. Uh, maybe you're going to run with 15 gallons. I know a lot of guys have run with 10 and done well as long as they're getting a, a Finer spray droplet. So, you want a medium sized droplet to a little smaller uh, and run with uh, say 15 gallons of water. Keep the boom height at the proper height, maybe it's two feet above the wheat, depending on what nozzle spacing you have and what the angles are. Uh, so, follow those recommendations to, to keep your head or your, your boom down lower. And then ground speed is important, too. If you're going too fast, you're just not going to get great coverage. So you don't want to be running more than, uh, say, 10 to possibly up to 15 miles an hour. But uh, the the slower you go, the better job you're going to do on this, getting great coverage. All right, thanks for the question, John. Really yeah. appreciate that. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Any hey, other Darren. comments? Yeah. You mentioned Persaro
8: and Caramba. Uh, those are excellent choices in your after head there are a couple other options at that timing, though. There is the old folicure, the generic now, uh, tipiconazole, and that's going to do really well on rust, but it's not nearly as good on scab. The other thing is the new Miravis Ace. Some of the trial work that I've looked at, it looks really good, so I'm excited this year to test out Miravis Ace next to Prasaro and Caramba for Fusarium head blight, or as we call it, head scab.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of price difference when you start talking about those options, and uh, the premium products do come at a little bit higher price, but we have seen much better protection out of them. But if you say, I just don't have the money to put out there and I don't know for sure head scab's going to be a problem, uh, you're right. The, the generic Folicure or Conazol products have done a decent job, and they've done it for a pretty low price, so that's that's not a bad thing either. We'll get right back into more of your questions right after this. Stay tuned.
6: Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Amazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
5: Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold, now, starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today.
0: Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa nutrient reduction strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com.
2: One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bio-enhancers, and an industry-leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season, rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash riseready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed.
0: Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, you can send your question in to radio at agphd.com or give us a call on the phone here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got one from Marty down in southeast Kansas, and he said, Guys, about the first week of May, I'm hoping to be planting some soybeans. I'm running a third of a pound of metribuzin, 3.2 ounces of Zidua SC uh, ahead of my crop. And I'm applying just ahead of the air seeder. Do you see a big problem with that? I'm in 10 inch rows. Uh, it will stir the soil a bit, but some ground will definitely be undisturbed between the rows. And I can throw in some paraquat for any small weeds that I may need to burn down right ahead of the seeder because after the seeder uh, I'm stirring up things too much that the, the little weeds don't generally die because they get too much dirt on them. Uh, what, what do you think about that? All right. Oh. Uh. Okay. I think I might. Gonna... There you go, Brian. Oh, sorry. What What do you think about that right ahead of an air seater, Brian?
8: Yeah, I I think it's fine. It's just I don't love Zidua pre emerge. I like it early post. I'd rather save it for early post and use it yellow pre. But if that's what he really wants to do, he certainly can. Um, also, I'm wondering why is Valor or Authority not in that mix? I like Metribuzin. You know, if you want to run Zidua, okay. But then, why are we not throwing Valor or Authority in there? Because I'm going to guess down there we've got uh, possibly water hemp, Palmer pigweed, you know, uh, many of these small seeded broadleaves that Valor and Authority are great on and better than both Metribuzin and Zidua. So if it's me, that's kind of the direction
0: that I'm going to go. You know, I know a lot of the guys in the burn down are, are choosing Anthem Flex, too, where they can get that active ingredient from Zidua, plus exactly. get some AIM to to add in right. that burn down mix for basically nothing. Uh, so that may be something that you look at, too, to see how, what, what's the cheapest way you can get Zidua and what other products may come pre-mixed with it, like, like uh, in Anthem Flex, to get some AIM that could help you out on your burn down. What do you think of the, the Paraquat or Gramoxone type product in that situation? I know with Roundup, we're always concerned about dirt and if there's a lot of dirt around, it, it makes the burn down a little tougher. Would you, If you're doing the Paraquat, would you like to see that done ahead of time or is it something you could still do with the cedar?
8: Well, yeah, you're going to get the best results if you do it first before some of the plants get damaged, before they get covered with dirt. I mean, if you've got clear—I mean, plants are undisturbed, and you can go spray them with any herbicide. You're going to see better results. But you know, if you don't know if you need the bareglot, you just have to look at the field before you go seed it. And so, yeah, I don't—I don't have any issue with the Baraglot. That's—that's fine. If it's around a persistent weeds, you got to throw that in there to get the the best possible burn down.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for the question, Marty. We really appreciate that. And yeah, I hope. uh, Hope everything goes well. You can be out there soon and, and getting those soybeans in the ground. That planting date thing is kind of interesting, too. We're seeing a lot of guys push that a little earlier. We'll see if you're able to do that this year. Got two questions, Brian, on subsurface drip irrigation. Uh, I got one uh, one from Richard. He asked if we've tried it, and uh, he said he's been considering it a long time time, but the cost range on some of his bids have been extremely wide. $2,000 an acre up to $4,000 an acre. Wondering why that range is uh, is so big and if it could possibly be worth the money.
8: Well, it just depends on your situation and what crops you're raising. But I mean, I like the idea of subsurface drip tape, but the problem is it usually costs about three times the money of a, a center pivot system, but you need to check that out yourself, so that's just a general blanket statement, but your situation may be different and the cost may not be prohibitive. Where we see the big advantage to the subsurface strip tape is when you have I hey, abnormally shaped fields, so you can get into every area of every field with that subsurface strip tape, and probably the number one thing I would say is when you're limited on the amount of moisture. So, for example, if you only have water rights to take care of one field with a center pivot system, maybe you have enough water to do two fields with subsurface drip tape. So all of a sudden then, if you say, well, I've got one irrigated field uh, versus two irrigated fields, well, that changes the economics entirely. That's probably where it fits the best and the easiest. But, yeah, if you're talking $4,000 an acre to put subsurface drip tape in, Probably better be raising something other than corn soybeans because <laughs> yeah. that, that subsurface drip tape's only going to last 15 to 20 years usually.
0: Yeah, maybe uh, maybe if you're raising a really high dollar crop, you can can get a return on that pretty quick. Hey, uh, another subsurface drip irrigation uh, question. This is from Florin. He said, I'm curious about that type of irrigation and how it may impact the soil pH, but also the salt level. Doesn't the upflow of water bring salt closer to the surface?
8: Yeah, uh, but here's the thing. You're going to get upflow of water almost no matter what in soil. That's just the way it goes. Through capillary action, water does move up. And are you putting more water in this way? Sure you are. But let's also keep in mind, if you have good drainage and if you are not overdoing it, on uh, how much water you're pumping into that soil and you have the good drainage, it's usually not that big a concern. I'm not that worried about it as long as that field is well drained.
0: All right. Thanks for the question, Florent. Uh, got one here from Thomas, and uh, Thomas is in Ohio. He said, i got a couple of questions for you. First of all, uh, I sent some soil samples along. You can see my base saturation potassium is up in the 6 to 7 range on most of my ground. Uh, On the heaviest soil, I'm struggling to get it up over 5. Just curious how many pounds I would need to apply. Uh, And just to throw the numbers out there for our listeners, on that heavy ground, it's 18.4 CEC. So that's kind of what we would call a medium to heavy soil. He has 268 parts per million of potassium, which sounds pretty good, but when you look at his calcium at 2,850 parts per million and his magnesium at 404 parts per million, that only leaves him 3.7% base saturation K. So the quick formula, you take your parts per million that you have, which is 268, multiply times your base saturation goal, which would be 5, divide by what your current base saturation potassium is, which is 3.7, and then subtract the parts per million off again. So 268 times 5, divided by 3.7, and then subtract 268 again. Then you multiply times 2, and you get 94 pounds of K that you need. So if you're putting out potash, that actually has 50% potassium. It has 60% k2o potassium but only 50 percent potassium so it'd take 188 pounds of potash above whatever your crop removal is for this year to make that happen and it's probably going to take you two to three years depending on rainfall to get that to show up on your test so put an extra couple hundred pounds of potash out and you should be able to get it up over five
8: hey yeah but i i where where is he from ohio what you say it's not going to take him two to three years for that to show up on a test. I'd be absolutely shocked if that does not show up within 12 months in Ohio. He's got enough heat. He's got enough moisture. Thomas, it, would take, us, it would take us probably
0: three years with our, our level of rainfall here getting uh, mm-hmm. a little over 20 inches of rain annually, including the snow. Uh, it would take us a couple of two, three years to make that happen here. Okay. Uh, also
8: Maybe we put on we put on crazy amounts there, and though, and and it's shown up within twelve months. But to your point, yes, it's possible it could take longer.
0: Okay. The other thing, Thomas had a herbicide question. He said, uh, "Picked up some new ground. Uh, I've got five to eight acres that are infested with Johnson grass. My normal pre-program on my ground." is to put out two quarts of atrazine with four and a half ounces of corvus, and he makes this comment. You're going to love this. He says, Brian, I know you hate atrazine pre, but this has worked well for me in a one-pass program. Now, on the new ground that has the Johnson Grass, I'm wondering, could I stay with that same combo, or is there something pre that works on a perennial with rhizomes like Johnson Grass? I anticipate I'm going to need a post-emerge application of Roundup if not for the entire piece of ground. Now, here's the thing, if you're not roundup resistant, the roundup is going to be a big deal. If you do no tillage and leave that root system intact, you can run with a strong rate of roundup and take out perennials like johnson grass. If If it is roundup resistant though, then it's going to be a real challenge.
8: Yeah, and also he mentioned corvus, that's got an ALS grass killer in there. Some johnson grass is ALS resistant. So I don't know, if his isn't great, then the corvus works. If it is resistant, then that corvus is a waste of money. And as far as what else you can do, there really aren't a lot of choices. We do have this on the AgDHD Field Guide app, though. We do have Johnson grass in there, so you can look at our best recommendations for corn, soybeans, and wheat.
0: Yeah, perennial weeds are are a whole different animal and you look at how they reproduce with with rhizomes that I mentioned. If you're not familiar with that, rhizomes will send basically runners below the ground uh, over from the plant and then they'll pop up new shoots. When you do tillage and cut those off, a lot of times we end up with more weeds. Uh, especially if we don't deliver a strong enough dose of herbicide to move all the way through that root system. So that's going to be something to watch for sure going forward. If you've got that Johnson grass problem, definitely get it under control. Do everything you have to do so it doesn't spread on your farm. Thanks for listening to our show today and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.